May I speak in the name of God, the lover, the beloved, and the love sharer. Amen. Everyone had had such high hopes. Ten years ago, Cyrus, the king of Persia, had set them free to return to their beloved Jerusalem. Jerusalem, that treasured memory, embellished in their hearts during 50 long years of captivity in Babylon. 50 years of mourning, 50 years of repentance poured out in the voice of Psalm 137 by the rivers of Babylon. We sat and wept when we remembered Zion. And they said, sing us the songs of Zion. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. Fifty years of waiting, during which the Levites, the scholars of the law, turned their undivided attention to the scrolls of the Torah. The Torah comprised the history of Israel's relationship with Yahweh, a history of turbulence in which Yahweh and the stiff-necked people struggled to stay in relationship together. Fifty years during which the great task of editing was an attempt to find meaning in the face of defeat and exile. This process initiated religious reforms as a sign of repentance. And once again, the children of Israel were called to return to the covenant with Yahweh. And after 50 years, God answered them. Cyrus, his instrument, set them free to return to Jerusalem the city of cherished memory. The returnees had had such high hopes. And yet within a space of years, we hear God's complaint renewed against them in the words of Isaiah, the third of that name. The third Isaiah raises his voice in protest. Shout out! Do not hold back. Lift your voice like a trumpet and announce to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. And so the old dynamic had reasserted itself. And the people complained to God, See, we fast, and you do not see. We follow the rules, we humble ourselves, and you do not notice. They are attention-seeking, self-preoccupied, their humility a mask for their arrogant complacency. And through the voice of the prophet, God blasts them for their complicity in the structural sins of injustice and oppression, which had so quickly corrupted the society of the restored Jerusalem community. Look, Yahweh cries, 
You serve your own interests on the fast day and oppress all your workers. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is this not the fast I choose? To loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked, cover them and not hide yourself from your own kin. The hopes of the returnees, the 50-year task of reform and repentance had given way to the human propensity to retreat from the dream of something new back to business as usual. Human-centered ways of seeing obscure the clarity of the God-inspired vision. A perspective grasped only in moments of crisis, when the edifice of human self-interest cracks and the resulting fear makes us receptive once more to God's word. And like Isaiah and the Hebrew prophets before him, Jesus sounded the same call to repentance and change. Christians have come to recognize the echo of Isaiah's words in Jesus' proclamation of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. The Apostle Paul, in our second lesson this morning, reminds the Christians in Corinth, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come proclaiming the mystery of God to you in lofty words or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In such tones, Paul confronts the Corinthians with the error of their ways. And as it was for the Jews in 583 BC, so with the Corinthians around 60 AD. And the French have an expression, plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. The more things change, the more they remain the same. The Corinthians rested their newfound faith upon the foundations of human wisdom. The problem with human wisdom is that it degrades very quickly into business as usual. And by this I mean the human behavior, both individual and societal, that inevitably gravitates to what is known, to what is familiar. And we know What we know is the need to scramble for power. What we know is that our self-interest always results in the protection of our power and the severing of our relationships with one another. And Paul tells the Corinthians... What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor human heart conceived, what God has prepared for those who trust in him. 
And the problem, Paul explains, is that if human society is driven only by what we already know how to do, the familiar ways and means, business as usual, Paul refers to this as knowing only the human spirit within. We close off from the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So then, how are the promptings of the Holy Spirit to be discerned? There is a school of psychology called transpersonal psychology. And it understands that the ordering of human emotions, the personal life that we live, is only the first stage of the process of integration. The ordering of our relationship with the spiritual, the transpersonal life, remains the second phase of the work. And transpersonal psychology makes a distinction between the lesser and the greater self. The lesser self is shaped by experiences of our personal autobiography, the events and experience of our own lives. Our experience of life is given particular meaning through the way we remember our personal history. But memory is a region of smoke and mirrors which conditions our perception of our experience. The memory of the lesser self is only ever partial. Its conclusions drawn for living life are consequently distorted by the emotions of fear. The greater self is the lesser self placed within the larger frame of collective and spiritual reference. The larger frame of reference connects us to our collective memories. Connected to collective consciousness, society remembers how in the past our tendency towards business as usual has always produced unfortunate results. How quickly the exiles returning to Jerusalem forgot the lessons of their collective past. How short the collective memory span of the American public is. Disconnected from our collective consciousness, we remain destined to endlessly repeat the mistakes of our past. The greater self opens us also to the promptings of the spirit. And here we are continually refashioned by an encounter with life that reveals to us how interdependent we are upon one another. How dependent we are upon God. Living from the greater self reveals to us that individual prosperity, individual prospering is intertwined with individual well-being. My prosperity is dependent because it is interconnected to your well-being. And the voice of the prophet Isaiah sounds to us across 2,500 years of life lost in living. Similarly, the words of the Apostle Paul confront us across 1,600, 1,900 years of wisdom lost in knowledge. These phrases 
from T.S. Eliot, choruses from the rock, end with the cycles of heaven in 20 centuries, brings us farther from God and nearer to dust. Jesus had a pithy and somewhat enigmatic way of talking at times. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He does not say, you shall become the salt of the earth, or you will become the light of the world. He simply says, you are. We are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. When we live lives of love that unite us within a greater connection to both our collective memory and the promptings of the spirit. Love is expressed interpersonally, between you and me through compassion. Love is expressed collectively through justice. At the personal level, love includes self-acceptance, mutual acceptance, toleration, forgiveness, self-giving service, and humility. Collectively, the expression of love means agitating for justice, fighting inequality, embracing inclusion, practicing tolerance, and extending mercy. So you see, living lives of love is no sentimental project. God called the Jewish exiles to return to the covenant he made with them as a people. And God continues to call us into a life in covenant with God's self. Ours is not the covenant God made with Moses, but the new covenant initiated by Jesus on the cross, confirmed by God in the resurrection. It is the new covenant in my blood, reaffirmed each time we celebrate Eucharist together. And this covenant into which we enter, we enter through baptism. In a moment, we're going to baptize a new member of Christ's body in the world. And being salty and being illuminated, we continue to be those who live the promises of baptism, which we will once again reaffirm this morning when we recite together the promises of our baptismal covenant. Amen.